Turn to Genesis 21, but we're going to uh, uh, jump around here at the beginning. We're going to set the scene here a little bit, and we're going to give you some principles uh, to look through the lens or, or to, to, uh, to, to think about the Old Testament. And here's the first one. This isn't a scripture, but I think if you would write this down and ponder this, the Old Testament would make much more authentic sense to you. I mean, and, and here, here goes. Ready? I've already got a honor here. Oh, oh, I'm in trouble. I got two more hours and somebody's on. But anyway, <clears throat> that's funny. Uh, this, this, uh, if I, I always get it backwards, but here, I'm going to try and do it here. Uh, people of the Old Testament aren't chosen because they're special. Write this down. They're special because they're chosen. People of the Old Testament aren't chosen because they're special. This is important. But they're special because they're chosen. You see, sometimes we look through the pages of the Old Testament and we go, wow, I mean, Moses, what amazing guy. Abraham, oh, wow, what amazing guy. And on and on and on we go. And then what we try to do is follow Abraham and Moses. And what the Bible really sets out and sets forth is the real or the reality of life and the rawness of life. And that these patriarchs were just like you and I. They're sinners who are in need of a a Savior, a God who saves. What's that? (laughs) What's I'm getting a signal here, and I don't understand the signal. Oh. (laughs) Well, that's a first. (laughs) Nobody's ever coming here again. (laughs) Well, everything happens. But uh, but anyway, um, I think that's a key principle that... And we read the Bible backwards sometimes. I'm, I'm really uh, convinced that we do. We're people who look to the people and how saintly they are, as opposed to looking to God and how amazing He is. And so that's one thing. And then I think another thing is, is um, turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I think we need to know and understand this. And you're all going to say, well, I know the verse. And that's this. Uh, Verse 7. Let's go to 6. So we are always confident, knowing that while we're at home in the body, we're absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. That's the verse I want us to remember. Part of what we're studying and learning now is how the Old Testament people walked by faith. Why? 
Because they weren't chosen because they were special. They were special because they're chosen. And God is asking them to walk by faith, not by sight. For we walk by faith, not by sight. That in the New Testament is an overriding principle, but it's an overriding principle that's been uh, throughout the entire Bible. And then another thing I think we should remember, and it's in Romans 9.15. God says this, I'll show mercy to whom I will show mercy. And I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. And then it's a period. (laughs) It doesn't say in there, you know, I'm going to consult, you know, Tim or uh, Andy or uh, Chaba or anybody else. I'm The Lord says, I'll show mercy to whom I'll show mercy and praise God for it. He holds back from us what we deserve. That's mercy. Romans 9.15. Aren't you glad for mercy? Man, I'm joyful for mercy. And then I want us to remember something that is all throughout the book of Genesis and all throughout, you know, the Old Testament in general. And that's this. For some reason... It might puzzle you, and we've been going over it a little bit. You might be scratching your head a little bit. For some reason, God in the uh, Old Testament, and especially in Genesis, is choosing and giving favor to the secondborns. Did you hear what I said? The secondborns. In fact... Cain was Eve's firstborn. Do you remember that? Abel was her secondborn. And a lot of people scratch their heads when they read about why God accepted Abel's sacrifice and not Cain's. And we could talk about that and people could debate about that, but maybe it's because of the Romans 9 verse 15 verse we talked about. God will show mercy and have mercy on whom have mercy and have compassion on whom have compassion. It's up to God. And you keep going through the Old Testament. We're there now. In the life of Abraham and Sarah, their firstborn was Ishmael. We're studying that right now. They decided to take the Lord's promise and fulfill it themselves. That's what the life or or the story of Abraham and Hagar and Ishmael are about, they decided that they were in their own strength and resource going to make God's promise happen. And the second son that we're about ready to read about, Isaac, became the child of promise. Fascinating, right? And you could just keep going on and on. There's Jacob and Esau. Esau was the firstborn, and that's coming later, and Jacob, the secondborn. And so there's this thing in the Old Testament where God bestows favor on the secondborn. It's not like, uh, you know, if you're the secondborn in your family now, you're better than your firstborn, but God was showing us something all throughout the Old Testament, that he is the one who 
has mercy and gives grace. And his always his choosing is right and good. You see that? Here's one more and one last one. I don't know if you know this, but I think you do. But here's the gospel in sort of a witty little way. Those who are born one time experience two deaths. And those who are born two times experience one death. And there's the gospel. Write it down. That's the whole of the gospel. What are we talking about? There's a second death that's mentioned mentioned on multiple occasions in the book of Revelation and is synonymous with the lake of fire. It's basically a death that's separation from God. And in Revelation 28, it says that the second death is this, the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, murderers, sexual immoral, those who practice magic arts, idolaters, liars, their place will be in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. Now time out. Just a little rabbit trail here. I got to tell you, I don't know about you, but without God in my life, I'm all of those things. Maybe you could say the same. But the Bible says, for those who count on the finished work of Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection, to settle your score with God, to pay the penalty for your sins, he not only pardons you and says, it's as if you never sin, that's justification, but he also puts into your spiritual bank account the righteousness of Christ. So that when you die once and you come to the Lord, the Lord says, oh, I see you through the lens of my son. Come with me. And you'll be with me in eternity, never to be separated from me, if, and, and, and you, you know it because, uh, in, uh, John, uh, chapter three, the Bible says that he who's born again has eternal life, right? Remember, there was this guy named Nicodemus. He said, wait a minute, Jesus, I ain't getting this. You mean I have to go back into my mom's womb? And he says, no, 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 no. You're born physically and then you're born spiritually. You'll never die. You say, wait a minute, never die. You might die physically, but you'll never be separated from God. You'll be in the presence of God by the righteousness of Christ. Listen, the gospel is you're born twice, you die once. If you're born once, you die twice. There it is. Now, with all of those things said, I want us to go into Genesis chapter 21. And I want us to look at the continuing story of Abraham and Sarah. And I want us to come uh, to this place, the first verse. Well, I'm going to read you the last verse of chapter 20. So Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech. Abimelech was this non-Jewish king who Abraham was scared of, so he told Abimelech his wife was his sister. 
Crazy, right? And then when Abimelech found out, he was negotiating with the Lord. Lord, I didn't do anything wrong. It's really Abraham and Sarah. And Abraham then went on to pray to God, healed Abimelech, his wife, his female servants, and they bore children. For the Lord had closed up all the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. Now catch that. Stick it there. I know we're looking around, but stay with me. With all these things now, I've given you some principles. I want us to look at Abraham and Sarah as they learn to walk by faith, not by sight. Who here likes to walk by sight? Come on. And it says here, and the Lord visited Sarah as he had said. Now, what had he said? Turn back to chapter 18 real quick. Genesis 18. Remember when the Lord appeared to Abraham and also Sarah was there in the back, you know, back behind him in the, you know, the doorway of the tent or behind the veil of the tent. And the Lord goes and meets him and, uh, you know, they're talking and they're eating and all that sort of thing. And he, verse nine says to him, Hey, where's Sarah, your wife? And he said, well, here in the tent. And he said, listen, I want you all to know this. I'll certainly return to you according to the time of life. And behold, Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Sarah. Now, Sarah, at this point, folks, dial this in, is about 89 years old. (laughs) And remember, all of this started back in Genesis chapter 12, and then all the succeeding chapters are sort of about this. God promised Abraham that I'm going to make you a great nation. And in order to be a great nation, there had to be some kids. (laughs) And he kept promising and kept promising. And the time between, listen, listen, this is the point I'm making. The time between Genesis 12 and Genesis 21 is 25 years. Now, I want you to think about that. When they got the promises, Abraham was about 75 years old. Uh, Sarah was about 65. And I don't have to tell you what it was like in their culture to have a child. We've, we've discussed that. And for 25 years, can you imagine Abraham and Sarah's relationship? I mean, there must have been some tough nights, crying nights disbelieving nights, correct? And in fact, in the interim here, Sarah says, okay, we can't wait any longer. We got to move this forward. I want you to take my servant, young lady, and I want you to have relations with her and have a kid. And they do. And his name is Ishmael. And we've talked about that. If you want to know why you see the Middle East on TV every day, just read Genesis chapter 12 until Genesis chapter 21, 22, right in there, and it tells you. It's because the Ishmael line is warring against the line that we're going to study today, Isaac. Okay? 
And it's been 25 years now. And even, even think about it. One more year since God said, I'll visit you at this time next year. Genesis 18. And so think about it. The culmination of 25 years of a promise. How long have you had to wait of a, for a promise that God gave you? We get mad if he doesn't answer it for tomorrow. We give up if he doesn't answer it for two days. We give up and get angry and depressed and upset if he doesn't give it to us in three weeks. These people waited 25 years. Amazing. But the Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah as he had spoken. Why in the world... Does God sometimes give you a promise? Anybody ever had a promise from the Lord? Oh, just me. You ever had a promise from the Lord? So he, his word just spoke to you and the Lord spoke to you through it and you knew that you knew that you knew this was going to happen or come to pass. Why in the world would God give you a promise one to, uh, you know, 25 years hence and then deliver on it 25 years later. Here's why. One of the reasons why. Because the people of God, the just, shall live by faith. We don't walk according to the flesh. The flesh does these sorts of things. We short-circuit God's plans and promises and create Ishmael's. God's plans and purposes, when we allow them to happen, creates the blessing of walking according to his will. And why does he do it? Because he wants you to walk by faith, not by sight. Do you get it? And if you, listen, some of us in this sanctuary really need to hear this, starting with me. If you knew everything God was going to do to deliver the promise... Are you really walking by faith? No, you're not. You're walking by sight again. You're not learning to trust. You're learning to trust yourself with the knowledge that you're begging God to give you. You catching that? Here, it took 25 years, and God is developing something in Abraham and Sarah that they're going to need to lead a nation. And oh, by the way, it's the currency of heaven. That's faith. Trust. It's not by sight. It's by faith how we walk. So if he gave you all the steps and all the answers between the time that he gave you the promise and the promise, would it even be faith at all? No, it wouldn't be faith. Hmm. That's one thing. Here's another thing. This is beautiful. I would have probably, if I was the Lord, or maybe you would have done this if you were the Lord, I would have brought the promise to fruition and said, wow, really good job. All you did was complain for 25 years. I'm going to give it to you, but gee, we need to start this all over again. You're failing miserably. That's what I'd say. But there's a word in here that should delight your heart, delight our hearts, and that's visited. 
That word in the Hebrew means lots of things. It means that he took particular attention or looked at her with particular attention. It also means that he had purposeful intervention in the life of Sarah. This wasn't some accident, in other words. It's a particular word that even in the Septuagint, do you guys know what the Septuagint is? Listen, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, but prior to the time of Christ, it was translated into the Greek, and the word in the Greek, the Septuagint, is to be kissed. God was paying attention with tender care to Sarah. That's what the first line says here. That's what he does for his people. And the Lord visited Sarah as he had said. Let me give you some verses just to think about, and he had said. And you write these down, and you put them on your refrigerator, and memorize them, and then think about them. Joshua 23:15 Therefore it shall come to pass that as all the good things have come upon you which the Lord God your God promised you so the Lord will bring upon you harmful things until he has destroyed you etc but the point of that verse is whatever he promises you for the good happens Joshua knew that Daniel I prayed to the Lord Daniel 9 4 uh, 9:4 excuse me my God, and made confession and said, O Lord, great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant and mercy with those who love him and with those who keep his commandments. That's Daniel 9.4. Daniel knew that God kept his promises. We see Joshua knew. We see uh, Daniel knew. Then the Lord said to me, Jeremiah wrote in 1.12 of Jeremiah, you have seen well, for I am ready to perform my word. Jeremiah knew that God delivered on his promises. Second Peter 1 says this, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord, as his divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. I want you to wake up on that one. What do I need to get out of this circumstance? Oh, God's already given it to me. By the way, it might not take you out of the circumstance. It might be just he's going to be with you in the circumstance. What do I need for this situation or that situation? The Bible says all you need for life and godliness is through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which we have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises. That's you. Are you a believer? Raise your hand if you surrendered your life to Jesus Christ. You have every single Precious promise available to you that through these, this is staggering, you may be partakers of the divine nature. Did you catch that? Having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Finally, Jesus believed that God the Father would deliver. Listen to this. Matthew five eighteen, Sermon on the Mount. Truly I say to you, Until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Jesus believed it. Here's what I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters. If God makes a promise, it will come to pass. 
whether you believe it or not, or I believe it or not, it will come to pass. It's drop dead lock that it's coming to pass. And if he promises it here and you're not seeing it here, you can still walk by faith, not by sight, that it will come to pass. You say, okay, well, whatever. Well, how about this one? Jesus is coming again. I mean, it's no doubt now. Jesus is coming again. He came the first time, Advent, and he came, mercy, grace, to die, the suffering servant. And the Bible says that he's coming a second time, and he's coming in judgment. And he's going to set all things right, everything right. He judged perfectly, justice. You know, you sit there and you flip on Fox and you yell and you scream. And you go to CNBC and you yell and you scream. And we get so frustrated and mad and angry and we just, how in the world could... Well, God's going to set all those things right. You look on the local news and you see some despicable things that are happening. It's hard to watch sometimes. Well, God's coming again. And he says that those who anticipate that and wait for that, that's a purifying doctrine in your life. That's a promise. One that we should be glad about. And he even says in his word, that those who wait and watch for his second coming are going to receive a crown. I want all of us to receive that crown and live our lives accordingly. And the point is, the Lord visited Sarah as he had said. As he had said. He's developing something in Sarah and Abraham. For Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age. At the set time, I read it to you in Genesis chapter 18, at which... Uh, uh, of which God had spoken to him. He did it right when he told him he was going to. He didn't tell him, though, until the 24th year. Isn't that interesting? And Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah born to him, laughter. Write it down. This is a real important theme in the story of Abraham and Sarah and Isaac. God told him to name their kid Laughter. You say, is that cruel? I mean, laugh at me? What? No, that's not what he's talking about. Look just quickly to remind ourselves that when you look back to uh, Genesis chapter 17, verse 17. Actually, I'll read in 16. Well, I'm going to read in 15. Then God said to Abraham... As for Sarah, your wife, she, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah, princess. But Sarah shall be her name, and I will bless her and also give you a son by her. Then I will bless her, and she'll be a mother of nations, kings of peoples. Then Abraham fall, fell on his face and laughed. There it is. There's a theme in this. Listen, laughter. And said in his heart, shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? And shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, oh, that Ishmael might live before you. He's like, really? You know, and some people, uh, we talked about this when we were there, uh, think 
Abraham was laughing for joy. Some people think Abraham was laughing and scoffing. There's a lot of reasons for that. Go back and get the tape if you want to know why that is. But turn with me over to Genesis 18. And I read this to you. Sarah, verse 11, was listening, or excuse me, at the end of 10, was listening in the tent door after God had said, I'm going to come back and give uh, Sarah a son. And Abraham and Sarah were old, well advanced, verse 11, in age. And Sarah had passed the age of childbearing. And therefore, Sarah laughed within herself. Listen, Sarah didn't laugh out loud, folks. It was inside. And God knew. God knew. And she laughed. And remember, you know, the New Testament is very complimentary of Sarah and Abraham, of course. But they were real and raw right here. And Sarah laughed. And that laughter was like, yeah, right. You ever laugh like that? Yeah, right. That's what was happening here. After I've grown old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord being old also? And the Lord said to Abraham, this is interesting. There's a theme here. It's fascinating to study. Lord said to Abraham, hey, why did Sarah laugh saying, shall I surely bear a child since I'm old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? Every time that this baby, every time somebody came over to the house and said, oh, come here, Isaac. You know what they think? Nothing's too hard for the Lord. We laughed, but there's nothing too hard for the Lord. His little guy's laughter. It was a reminder. And at the appointed time, I'll return to you according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. Listen, listen to this. But Sarah denied it, saying, I didn't laugh. Isn't this funny? Because she didn't do it outwardly. Think about it. She did it inwardly. She was learning something right here. And God said, oh, no, but you did. You did laugh. Now, that's important. God knows what we're thinking. God knows what we're uh, uh, doing. God knows those things. He's omniscient, omnipotent. And when you come back to the story that we're currently in, 21, here comes the theme again. Name him laughter. Then Abraham obediently circumcised his son Isaac he was uh, for the first, listen, he's the first eight day old recorded to be circumcised in the Bible. Remember, Ishmael was circumcised, but he was circumcised when he was in his teens. Yowza. Right? But, but here, Abraham was being obedient to what God had asked them to do to circumcise. What's the circumcision uh, for? It was a, covenant between God and the people of Israel. I'm going to shock you, especially if you've never been here before. In the New Testament era, all of us need to be circumcised, but not in the way you think. Even the ladies, the Bible says that we're to be circumcised in our hearts, the fleshly part of our hearts. That tendency to want to live by our own strength and power is to be cut away and done away with. We're to put on Christ and live by grace, not by rules and regulations. And so you call him laughter. Abraham then is obedient, circumcises his son when he was eight days, and as God had commanded him. Now Abraham was 100 years old. Don't, don't go by that. I mean, when laughter was born, 
uh, to him. And Sarah said, God has made, listen, God has made me laugh. There's something here that had happened to Sarah. She'd gone from a scoffing laugh to an appreciative laugh, a thankful laugh. And I want to examine that laugh at the end of this chapter, or maybe here in a few verses. Because God gives to the Christian, listen, folks, listen, God gives to the Christian joy in the morning. Not only M-O-R-N-I-N-G, but M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G. You say, but I'm mourning. How can I be joyful? I get it. God's not asking you to forget or to not under, not to mourn, but in the midst of mourning, the Bible tells us that Jesus not replaces joy for mourning. It actually says in the book of John that he takes our mourning and transforms it into joy. Oh my. That's different, folks. That's supernatural. You say, how could that be? Well, there's a great theme here. There's a laughing. And Sarah said, God has made me laugh. I'm appreciative. I'm thankful. Wow. The laughter of God's grace. We laugh. In fact, the Bible tells us, listen, folks. You say, I don't have the strength to go on. I, I'm at my, the end of my rope. I don't know if I can do it anymore. You know what God says in, a, in an appropriate way? Perfect. You're at the end of self. Listen. And he goes, now I'm going to let you have my joy, and the joy of the Lord will be your strength. Whoa. This is startling stuff here. This is revolutionary stuff here. You don't have to manufacture joy somehow, some way, through the tribulation and the trial and the disappointment and the hurt and the bitterness, all of that somehow, some way. As we are with the Lord, he turns our whatever it is, bitterness, to laughter, appreciation. And all who hear will laugh with me. The implication being that she's going to tell people what God did. Isn't that evangelism, really? Isn't evangelism just telling people what God did? <laughs> it's not. I mean, we, listen, I taught a class on evangelism like I am any big deal. I'm not. We had a guy come in and train. I'm so thankful for him. He did such a good job. I love him. I stayed in contact with him. Talked to him yesterday about what happened. We went out into Pittsburgh. Here's what happened. It was freezing. But but there were people there, man, and they were sharing and loving and hugging people and handing out lunches. It was beautiful what the Lord did through so many of you here sitting here today. But evangelism really is just telling people what God did and is doing. <laughs> and that's what Sarah is saying. I'm just going to tell people what he did. Guy, when he was had sight... <laughs> I don't know about all the theological arguments the guy said, but I used to be blind about five minutes ago, and now I can see. 
And I'm going to tell people that. And so you get back here and here it is. She's laughing. Laughing's a theme. And she also said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? For I have borne him a son in his old age. So listen, this story is a story of God developing faith, walk by, uh, by faith, not by sight, in Abraham and Sarah. You say, well, this is a cute little story. Is it a cute little story? Well, it gets real right here, man. Here she is. She thinks she's over the bitterness and the hurt and the promise. And all of a sudden, the child grows up. Isaac, the child of promise. I'm going to show you that in a minute. And was weaned. They would wean a baby back then around two years old or three years old. Somewhere in that way, uh, area. Which means that's how old Isaac was. But Ishmael was in his... 15, 17-year-old range. You with me? Because let's read the next sentence. And Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had born to Abraham, scoffing. Hey, folks, guess what? That's a different word for laughing. There's the theme again. I want to show you some things or just talk about some things. Isn't it wonderful... When you see your child walking in the truth, the child grew and was weaned and Abraham made a great feast on the same day that Isaac was weaned. And the New Testament says that what are we to do as believers? We're to listen. If you're young here in the faith, what are you to do? What are we to do? We're to move from milk to meat in the Bible. That's spiritual weaning. You get it? And it's beautiful, First John tells us, to see our children walking in the truth by moving from milk to meat. They start to walk out their faith of what they've seen in Sunday school. They begin to pray for people. They begin to share with people. They begin to serve with people. They begin to praise the Lord, not just because you are, because they want to. You get that? And when that happens, look, a, a, a party happens in your heart. Amen? And if you don't have kids, well, you're discipling. And you're uh, partying for that. Beautiful picture there. And then Sarah saw this son of Hagar. Do you notice that he's not called here Ishmael? Now he's the son of Hagar, the child of the flesh. In other words, the child who was born out of fleshly attempts to get the promise to come to fruition. Get it? We don't hear him called here as Ishmael too much here at the rest of this chapter. And he was scoffing, laughing. Now, God's got some work, more work to do in Abraham and Sarah. How do I know? (laughs) Because I can read. And what I do is I just read the next sentence. And therefore, she said to Abraham, listen, listen, this was Mama Bear. And she's fired up. And she says, hey, throw them out. Woman and son, throw them out. For the son of this bondwoman shall not be heir with my son, namely with Isaac. And the matter was very displeasing in Abraham's sight because of his son. Now listen. 
We're going to go through the reasons, but I want you to see something here. To me, is really important. We can go from a laughing scoff or a scoffing laugh. There we go. I had it backwards. We can go from a scoffing laugh, and listen, and then God can deliver the promise. And we think in our own minds, oh, I have the laugh of grace now. And you turn around, and the issue fires you up so much, you're willing to throw somebody out. Could it be, just think about it for a minute, could it be that Sarah's laugh was because God had given her the goods? Or had God really done something in her heart where she was singing the laugh of grace? I would suggest to you that God still needed to work on her. Are you catching what I'm saying? She was fired up and was willing to send out the ones she's were the ones she was responsible for and leave them out. That's fascinating to me. Now stow that away because God has more to do. The first laugh, the scoffing laugh, watch. Maybe because we don't know the promises nor trust God enough to believe that he's going to deliver. You can't, you following me? But watch. The laugh that laughs when gifts are given sometimes develop into a laugh because we idolize the gifts more than we enjoy the giver. Ooh, wait a second. And when somebody comes and strikes at the gift, the baby, it sends us into a rage or a depression or an anxiety or whatever. Are you with me? Okay, that's important for the end of this story. So if I get to the end of the story and I forget, you all raise your hand. So here he goes, and God is so patient and so wonderful. Therefore, she says, cast him out. But look, Abraham's displeased. He, he, he loves the baby who's now the teenager. He loves his kid. And God said to Abraham, don't let it be displeasing in your sight because of the lad or because of your bondwoman. Whatever Sarah has said to you, listen to her voice. For in Isaac, your seed shall be called. Now, one reason you say to yourself, wait a minute, come on, folks, what's happening here? Why would God let this happen? Listen to your wife. First of all, I know all the ladies have that underlined in their Bible, but the men probably should underline it too. Because the Bible says, in Ephesians, you're you're thinking, "Uh uh-oh, he's going to say, wives, submit to your husbands. Well, I'm going to say that second because... Before it says, wives, submit to your husbands, it says, submit to one another in the Lord. There's an interplay between you and your wife if you're married. That's going back and forth where you listen, she listens, you talk, you pray, you come to decisions together. And here, the Lord sends him back and says, now I want you to listen because I've got special plans for the laughter for this boy, Isaac. 
But why do you think 13? Or excuse me, 14 happened. So Abraham rose early in the morning, took a bread and a skin of water, and putting it on her shoulder, he gave it uh, and the boy to Hagar and sent her away. Then she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba, and the water in the skin was used up, and the place the boy under one of the shrubs. Then she went sat down across from him at a distance of about a bowshot. For she said to herself, let me not see the death of the boy. So she sat opposite him and lifted her voice and went. And God heard the voice of the lad. Then the angel of God called to Hagar out of heaven and said to her, what ails you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the lad where he is. Why in the world do you think Abraham... If he loved this boy, young man, why do you think Abraham sent him out into the wilderness? Well, I think there's a number of reasons, but one of the reasons is he was just simply ready for this, trusting God's promise. What had God already told Abraham and the mom? That Ishmael was going to become a great nation. And I don't know if you remember this, but in the the New Testament, everybody just track with me. I know, I go round in circles. Remember in the New Testament when Jesus was up near Capernaum and he was getting ready to go down to the Gadarenes and he's going to heal a demoniac down there? Right before uh, they all get in the boat, he says, Hey guys, let's jump in the boat. We're going to go to the other side. With me? That's a promise of God. They get in the boat. You know the story. There's three sea turbulent boat stories in the Gospels there. But in this story, he's asleep and they, you know, don't you care for us? You know that whole thing. And God was teaching them to trust in the word that he had said, we're going to go to the other side. Do you think if Jesus said, we're going to go to the other side, If a wind comes up, do you think he's going to be caught off guard by it and not get them to the other side? He was teaching them something. Get it? And that's what is happening here, I think, to Abraham and Hagar and all of them. I told you, I'm going to make a nation of the son of the bondwoman because he is your seed. He's going to be a great nation. I think one of the reasons Abraham let him go out into the wilderness with his mom like that is because he knew and he was growing in the fact that God would take care of him. Everybody with me? Now for this next reason, let's turn to Galatians chapter 4. Do you know Paul writes about this in Galatians chapter 4? He writes about this story and uh, it's really very fascinating. And if you go up to about Yeah, verse 21. This book is about the law versus grace. Living under the law versus living under grace. And it says this in 21. Tell me who you desire to be under the law. Do you not hear the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons. There it is. Jesus had taught this to Paul. Whoa. The things that you're reading about, I understand It's the Old Testament. Sometimes we kind of shake our head and go, okay, what's this have to do? It has everything to do. This was taught to Paul, for it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondwoman, the other by a free woman. But he who was of the bondwoman was born according to the flesh. And he of the free woman through promise. 
which things are symbolic. For the, look, he actually says it there. They're symbolic. For these are the two covenants. The one from Mount Sinai, which give birth to bondage, which is Hagar. <laughs> Jesus taught Paul that the story of Hagar and Sarah and Abraham was a real story. And Abraham was counting on God to provide for Hagar and Ishmael out in the wilderness because God had promised it. But also, that story was a symbol of something that's very important to you and I. It's so important, it can make your Christian life miserable or free. Who wants to be miserable? And there's millions of Christians walking around Christendom miserable and making the life miserable for others because of what we're about ready to read. One represents the law, which gives birth to bondage, which is Hagar. For this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to Jerusalem, which now is is in bondage with her children. But the Jerusalem above, New Jerusalem, heavenly Jerusalem, you're going to get there. Listen, you're going to go to heaven because of the grace of God, not because you're under bondage. Because you celebrate the wine and the cracker. You recognize in your life that he died and he made a new covenant of grace. In other words, he did everything so that you could be Uh, have eternal life. He did everything. That's grace. And he withheld from you what you deserve. That's mercy. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren, who do not bear. Break forth and shout, you who are not in labor. For we are not, er, for the desolate has many more children than uh, than she who has a husband. In other words, legalism is barren and doesn't and can't bear fruit. If you're living by rules and regulation to try to get yourself to heaven, you're going to die out on the vine. That's what the Bible says. And you become self-righteous and crusty and angry and pointy and judgy and weak. And the insidious part is those people who live like that think they're the SWAT team the MPs of the Christian church who look around and say, why are you doing this? And why are you doing that? And blah, 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 blah. And they become really self-righteous and they're a real turnoff. Now we, verse 28, brethren, as Isaac was, are children of promise. We ought to all be jumping up and down and saying, praise God right there. We're children of promise. We don't have to live in bondage anymore. We don't have to worry anymore. We know that we're going to have eternal life because of what Jesus did. We're free. But as he who was born according to the flesh then persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, even so it is now. Nevertheless, what does the scripture say? Cast, listen, cast out the bondwoman and her son for the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. So then brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. Hagar is a picture of the law. Sarah is a picture of grace. And when you get that, and when I get that, it frees up our life. Because, listen, here comes the principle. These people aren't chosen because they're special. 
They're special because they're chosen. That's grace. You get it? Man, it's so powerful. We're all so worried in here. Why Hagar? Why Ishmael? Why Isaac? Why Sarah? Sarah's a jerk. Why does she get... Don't anybody else read that in your flesh and go say those things? And you go, "Uh uh-oh, we live by grace. And God ordained it. But listen, God didn't just leave in the story Ishmael out there. He was going to make him a great nation. And here he is under a shrub, needs some water. Listen, listen, listen. You know in chapter 16, Hagar was cast out when she was real sad. And God revealed himself to her as the God who sees. Do you remember that? Listen to this. Now he's the God who hears to Hagar. So God heard the voice of the lad. That's in, uh, and then the angel of God called out to Hagar out of heaven and said to her, what ails you, Hagar? In other words, Genesis 16, 10. You go there. Go to Genesis 16, 10. Then the angel of the Lord said to her, I'll multiply your descendants exceedingly so that they shall not be counted for multitude. He's speaking there to Hagar. Are you catching this? He's also teaching Hagar how to depend upon the promises of him. Oh, well, I think that's pretty astounding. That's amazing. God cares for the broken, guys. He cares for the broken. And here, he says, what ails you? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the lad. Arise, lift up the lad, and hold him with your hand, for I'm going to make him a great nation. This is the same exact thing that Abraham was told by God. He repeated it because God delivers on his promises. Don't feel sorry. God made him a great nation. And provided for him. Then God opened her eyes, verse 19, and she saw a well of water, and she went and filled the skin with water and gave the lad a drink. So God was with the lad, and he grew and dwelt in the wilderness and became an archer. That's what happens when we live according to the flesh. We shoot arrows. That's what happens when we become legalists. We're always shooting other people. And he dwelt in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. And now we're going to switch here. Why is this next story in this chapter? Because remember, God said to Abraham, his people were going to be a great nation. Listen, but he was also going to get the land of Canaan. So we're switching here from a a threat to the line that God had called out through Abraham to the land promises now. Are you getting that? Because watch. And it came to pass at that time that Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of this army, spoke to Abraham saying, now who is Abimelech and Phicol? Well, there's a debate. It could be the same person in chapter 20 in which Abraham gave his wife to as a sister. And Abraham really acted a jerk, and Abimelech rebuked him. Do you remember this? You could go back and read it in chapter 20. 
It could be that same Abimelech, but remember, Abimelech is a title, not a name. So some people are split on that. But watch this. Whatever it is, Abimelech and Phicol speak to Abraham, saying, God is with you in all that you do. If it's the same, if it's the same one, Abimelech looked out over Abraham's life and watched the growth of God in him and the maturity. Listen, who wants to be mature in the Lord? Yeah, you want to be mature in the Lord? They give you the answer right here. Do all the rules. Learn all the rules. Make sure you're an archer telling everybody what they should do and where they should go and how they should act and what rule to follow. And da, 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 listen to me. No, Here's what this Abimelech noticed about Abraham, that the presence of God was with him, that he had secured the presence of God. God is with you in all that you do. The presence of God is with him. I just ask you, are you in the presence of God? Do you take time? Are you just on the fly? Not many people are willing to go deep with the Lord because there's too many things distracting them. Listen to what Spurgeon said about the presence of God and this verse, if we get it up there. I might have caught him off guard. I think that the greatest blessing God ever gives to a man or a woman is his own presence. If I had my choice of all the blessings of this life, Spurgeon said, I certainly shouldn't ask for wealth, for that can bring no ease. And I certainly shouldn't ask for popularity, for there's no rest to the man or woman upon whose words... Men constantly wait, and it's a hard task one has to perform in such a case as that. But I should choose as my highest honor to have God always with me. Who? Charles Spurgeon. Wow, look how they did that down there. That's pretty cool. All right. I did just notice that. What would you like somebody to say of you? They keep the rules. Or would you want them to say, man, I can tell that person's been in the presence of God. There's a glow. There's a deep maturity. There's a love. There's a joy. There's a hunger. There's a thirst for God. Because that person has just come from the presence of God. And I can tell, and they're growing And then he goes on, now therefore swear to me, my God, that you're not going to deal falsely with me, Abimelech says, or or my offspring or my prosperity, but that according to the kindness that I've done to you, you will do to me in the land in which you have dwelt. And Abraham said, oh, okay, I swear. Then Abraham rebuked Abimelech. It's been turned now. Abraham's rebuking Abimelech. Before Abimelech, whoever, you know, was (laughs) rebuking him, because of a well of water which Abimelech's servants had seized. Now, I want you to know this. You know what can trip people up is little arguments between, you know, people they live around. (laughs) When I was first a lawyer, (laughs) there was this place called Buckeye Lake. It used to have this great um, amusement park. And people in our little hometown of Newark, Ohio, when, when in the 50s and the 60s, they would go out to Buckeye Lake. And there was this one rich dude that, hired our law firm for anything and everything. And uh, 
he was just so unreasonable. Don't put that on there. But uh, anyway, he would pay us to fight these people because, like, their fence was over. Like, I'm not kidding you, this much. And it was just always contentious. And then the next week it would be something different. And I don't remember how much he spent in legal fees over that much, but I'm talking a lot of money. And I think about that when I think of this. Here Abraham is growing and maturing because he's in the presence of the Lord, because he's learning to walk by faith, not by sight. And he talks to Abimelech because of a well which Abimelech's servants had seized. Abimelech's servants had taken Abraham's property. And you say, well, it's just a well. In that area, a well was really important. It had water in it. (laughs) And down there, water is scarce. And Abimelech said, I didn't know who has done, I don't know who has done this thing. You didn't tell me, nor had I heard of it until today. So, Abraham took sheep and oxen, gave them to Abimelech, and the two of them made covenant. Remember, they cut these animals in half, they walked between them, and they made a pact together. Whoever breaks this covenant is going to be like the animals. That's what they were doing. We've learned that. So they made this covenant, and then Abraham set seven ewe lambs of the flock by themselves. Then Abimelech asked Abraham, what's the meaning of these seven ewe lambs? That wasn't part of the deal. Why are you giving me more? I'm the one who... My servant screwed you up, took your stuff. And he said, you're going to take these seven ewe lambs from my hand that they may be a witness that I have dug this well. Therefore, he called that place Beersheba, seven wells or some other um, things, uh, interpretations, because the two of them swore an oath there. And thus they made a covenant at Beersheba. So Abimelech rose with Phicol, the commander of his army. They returned to the land of the Philistines. And then Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba and there called on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. And Abraham stayed in the land of the Philistines many days. Now, what's this all about? Well, remember, we're shifting from the seed promise to the land promise. And before, we're learning to walk by faith, not by sight. And that is sometimes hurtful and rough, and God has to chisel on you. And, you know, I don't know about you, but when somebody takes your money, Anybody ever stolen from you? You don't like that. You know, you can get a, you know, in a wreck and your car get messed up. Okay, all right, all right. Or, you know, I don't know, somebody egg your house or something. Oh, okay, all right. What? Somebody takes money from you? That ain't no fun. And you're mad and you're angry. And that's what happened here. And you see the maturity here of Abraham. He's maturing. And in fact, he's so mature that he's saying, hey, let's not make this a big deal. In fact, I'm going to show you how graceful I am. He doesn't say that. But he says, I'm over it, man. You didn't do it. Okay. You know what I would have said if the guy said, I didn't know my servants did this? I would have gone, yeah, sure you didn't. He doesn't say any of that. He's humble. He's charitable. He's sweet. He's kind. He keeps his mouth shut. As much as it's up to us, the Bible says, live in peace with all men. We could use that in the Christian life. And he is so giving to a guy that's ripped him off. Whoa. And not only that, but he says this. 
Lord, when you showed me to be charitable and kind to a person who even did wrong to me, I just want to worship you. That's what he's saying for being so fruitful in my life because I would have never done this before. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to plant a tree. By the way, this tree would take a long time to grow, but it would grow fruit and it would be out in the middle of the desert. In other words, this is the place where, Lord, I recognize you're hammering away in my heart. And by your love and resource and strength, things are starting to sprout. Praise you, Lord, not praise me, Abraham. Everybody with me? All right, look. I'm going to close. I know we don't have Steelers, Buffalo, but we close anyway. I wonder here as we uh, close up, watch, if God still wasn't working on their laughter. There was a laughter of scoffing. It had been turned into, listen, a laughter of thank you for giving me the goods. And oftentimes when we're uh, persons who are thankful for giving the goods, of course we want the goods. uh, Jesus says to pray for them. But oftentimes we can make the goods an idol in our life. And I wonder if God is still working in Sarah and Abraham's life to eradicate any idols in their hearts so that their laughter will be based on grace and mercy. Listen, and not gifts. How do I know it? Let me read something to you. Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. And then he said, take now your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. I don't know about you, but when I was a kid and I read this story, this was a horror story for me. (laughs) I mean, seriously. I wanted to be a dad. I knew that. But to think that I would have to sacrifice a son to follow the Lord, you know what I used to say and may say now? No way. I can't do it. And I think Sarah and Abram sort of were laughing in that way. So thankful you came through, Lord. <laughs> but don't you mess with my idols. And so God went further with them. Do you think Sarah didn't know Abraham was marching up to Mount Moriah? God wants us to love God. Not just the gifts. The gifts are wonderful. We can praise God for them. But instead of making the gifts the idol, make God the object of our worship. And it says here that he was testing Abraham. So I'm thinking... 
there might be different people in here. Maybe there's scoffers in here laughing now at what I'm saying, but, you know, it's the Lord saying it. There might be some people in here or listening online. They're scoffing. Yeah, right. You really believe this stuff? There might be some of us in here somewhere else in that continuum. Lord, I'll love you and I'll laugh, but you got to do what I say you got to do. If you don't, I'm out. And then there might be some who've learned that's a really rough way to live because if you put all your stock in your idols, when anybody attacks your idols, you slip out into a rage like Sarah. And God wants to do more. He wants us to put down our idols and love him for what he's done. Now listen, little side trail. I think God's doing that, and and we'll close on this. But the other good part about this is he doesn't sacrifice his son. God says, I'll provide myself a sacrifice. And I always love it here at the end. (laughs) You know, God sacrificed his son so I wouldn't have to. Let's pray. Well, Lord, we thank you and uh, we bless your name. And we see how deep this is. And uh, it's a touching story, Lord. And I pray, we pray together as brothers and sisters, is there somebody here? who has no idea if they've ever surrendered their life to Christ and that they'll be with them in heaven. They'd come up after and we'd pray together. And they'd open up their hearts and lives to you and count on you for their eternal salvation. But maybe there's some people in here who have uh, given their life to you, Lord, but you're working on them and working on us. And it hurts sometimes to give up our idols. And I pray that each one of us would be circumspect this week so that you could use us more and more, increasingly, as you root out the idols of our lives. And that our laughs wouldn't be scoffing or laughs because you've given us something, but that they would be laughs of grace and joy and mercy. In Jesus' name, amen.